Welcome to North Village Church. My name is Michael. It is great to see you here uh, today, and uh, it's great to be with you online. If you're watching online, and man, it's good to see our, our parents uh, here with little ones, and man, it's a different time for us, so uh, no pressure, Mom and Dad, if the little ones are running around or making noise. It's a different time, so we're going we're gonna to make noise together, and as our teens run out the door, we're trying to figure out ways to to provide for our children in this in this transition and so man just super thankful to be here uh, with you today we typically would go through uh, in our community groups in in first thessalonians the scripture that we're going through on uh, sunday mornings but for these next seven weeks we're going to kind of pause that that process and, and go through a book called sacred marriage by by gary thomas and I, mean, I really encourage you to, uh, to engage with us around this content. That The book isn't going to be a quick fix uh, to all marital problems, but uh, we are hopeful that it will uh, kind of be a conversational starter to help us build uh, stronger uh, marriages together and stronger relationships uh, with one another. And so lean in with us these first seven weeks in, in this book. But on Sunday mornings, we're going to launch a new series called transformation. We're going to go through the book of 1 Thessalonians, so get a Bible in your hand and follow along with us because this series is going to help us remember our need for Jesus is the only one that's able to bring the transformation we long for in ourselves and in our world. Right? There's just a chaotic of events going on all around us right now, and, and we, we see need for transformation. When we, we look out onto our, our country, our world, we see it with our, our politicians, our government needs transformation. We see it in education for our children. Our education needs transformation. We see it in our hospitals that our, our, our medicines, our, our mental health needs transformation. Like we, with, with the different ethnic groups in our country, different cultures, coming together and navigating those conversations. We need transformation. And 1 Thessalonians, we're going to see how it is only Jesus that can bring the transformation we long for in ourselves and in the world. All right? And when I say Jesus, I don't mean like ethereal, hypothetical, you know, just an idea heavenly thoughts kind of about Jesus, but it is Jesus. He is the one who gives us the power. He's the one who gives us the perseverance, the courage to engage this transformation around us so that we get to see, not just in heaven, we get to see it here on earth. Does that make sense? Like we're not waiting for transformation just in heaven. That day is coming, but Jesus is so good, we can taste of it here on earth. That's the dream. And so this morning, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 to 10, and we're going to see three subpoints. We're going to see the gospel. We're going to see the gospel is powerful. We're going to see the gospel is personal. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 10, and, and you follow along with me. Verse 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope 
in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you and gone forth. Well, I lost myself. Not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Now let me give you some context to help us stay on the same page uh, as we get into 1 Thessalonians, because 1 Thessalonians is written by the Apostle Paul. Paul's life has been radically transformed in Jesus. You can read about that in Acts chapter 9. And then from that point on, the Apostle Paul goes all around the Roman Empire. Let's see if we got a map here somewhere. We lose it? Imagine the Roman Empire and the stars. Y'all help me out. Y'all look for that, that image of uh, Th Thessalonica. It's back. All right. So he goes all around the Roman Empire declaring the name of Jesus, demonstrating the name of Jesus, and he ends up in Thessalonica. This is a real place. It's not Hogwarts. Right? It's a real city. It's a capital city. It's thriving in commerce, thriving in diversity, thriving in influence. It's like a modern-day Georgetown, you know, metropolis. Paul and Silas and Timothy show up in Thessalonica, and they start talking to people about Jesus. And that might sound odd for us today, but in that day, it was normal to discuss philosophy, matters of faith, beliefs. And as a result, people came to faith in Jesus. A new church started in Thessalonica. I think this is what, you know, reading about that in Acts 17 is what gets me so excited about what's going on in our culture today. Because it wasn't that long ago, just a couple of years ago, have you noticed the meat of our conversations were always about like sports? But just a couple of years ago, you just talked to people about the weather. We were always talking about food, taking pictures of our food. Like, that's my burger. That's my burrito, right? <laughs> Keeping up with the Kardashians. I mean, that's what, like, what's going on with the Kardashians? That was the, the meat of our, our conversation. But have you noticed just in the last couple of years, like, the thrust of those conversations are changing. Right? I mean, 15, 16-year-olds in high school are talking about complicated Things when I was 15 and 16, I was talking about Tecmo Bowl, Mario Brothers, and they they're they're talking about cultural issues and how to 
kind of argue those points and articulate those thoughts. And that just gets me really excited. Because I think, man, who, who knows what the Lord might be doing in, in our day? It's so exciting. Well, in Acts 17, I mean, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're talking about Jesus. They're having these conversations, and people get a little upset. Uh, so much so that a mob forms. You can read about this in Acts 17. A mob is formed, and the city is in an uproar. Those are literal words. An uproar, and the people start to attack their house, dragging them out of their house. Like, who says the Bible is outdated? It's like modern day times, 2020, right here in God's word, getting drugged out of the house. And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they skin out of town. The Apostle Paul, he ends up writing to the Thessalonians, this new church family to encourage them and bring direction. So that brings us to our first subpoint, the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. The gospel is the means by which the God of Scripture is going to reconcile all of creation to Himself. The gospel is from Genesis to Revelation. But right here in verse 5, we actually specifically see the word gospel. Verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only. Notice the Apostle Paul refers to the gospel as our gospel. In chapter 2, the Apostle Paul referred to the gospel as his gospel. So the gospel is personal. The gospel is powerful. We'll touch on that in a moment. But we need to be clear on the message of the gospel. I mean, think to yourself right now. Do you know the message of the gospel? If somebody were to ask you, what is the message of the gospel? Would you be able to articulate? The message is that Jesus is God in the flesh who took our sins upon Himself at the cross, who conquered our sin in the resurrection so that all who believe in Him will be eternally forgiven. Right? That is the message of the gospel. This is so important. Because there are groups in our culture today that are using the word gospel, but the message of the gospel isn't the same message of the gospel in 1 Thessalonians, in God's word. Right? When you look on the news, January 6th, you see that, that riot in Washington, D.C., and you see the name Jesus next to a Confederate flag you can be sure it's not the same Jesus. Right? They're using the word Jesus, but it's not the same Jesus that's revealed to us in God's word. Same word, different meanings. One time I was talking with somebody. They were telling me about a church in Minnesota right now that is arguing, fighting their city so that they can host a white-only church. A church for only white people. I thought, that's impossible. That's impossible. So I did a little research, and you dig a little deeper, and you find out that this group is actually a cult out of Scandinavia, worshiping Thor. And it just so happens to be they're meeting in a building that looks like a church. It's so important, using the same words, different meanings. 
Even right now in our city, there are gatherings of people on Sunday morning and they're singing songs that sound like the songs that we sing. And they're using words that might be words that we use. But when you talk about what those words mean, you will find it's, the, it's not the same meaning that's being used in 1 Thessalonians. So that we must know the message of the Gospel. Right? We can't just know the words of the Gospel. We need to know the meaning of those words. That's why we want you to hold God's Word in your hand. That's why in our community groups, like we're going to take a break seven weeks to go through this book, but normally we're going to get into God's Word. We're going to study God's Word so that we know that the message we are talking about today is the same message they were talking about 2,000 years ago in Thessalonica, right? That's our first sub-point, the Gospel. Let's talk about our second sub-point. The Gospel is powerful. It's important to understand that the gospel is a message, but the gospel is also powerful. So that when we read God's word, when we listen to a sermon or we sing songs, we absolutely we want to listen. Is that the message of the gospel? Right? But we also we also want to look for the power, right? That we need to engage the power of the gospel. Look at verses 3, 4, and 5. The Apostle Paul writes, constantly bearing in mind, talking about the Thessalonians, bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of God, of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, just as you know what kind of man we prove to be among you for your sake. This is so important. And the Gospel is powerful. Stay with me because there's there's non-religious people Non-religious people, people that don't believe in God, they could reject the content of the gospel. They could reject the message of the gospel. And then you have religious people, people that say they believe in God, and they could accept the message of the gospel. But it's possible that neither one of them are engaging the power of the gospel, and as a result... Not the gospel. There's power. The gospel is powerful. The gospel isn't just an intellectual message to consider. The gospel isn't just an idea to ponder. The gospel is so powerful that it upends every part of our being. That's why in Thessalonica, they're there's riots. Like it's, the gospel has disrupted the lives of these Thessalonians to such a degree that a mob is bursting forth, that people are angry and dragging them out of their houses. Like it's not just intellectual information. I know for me, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and 
I didn't grow up going to church. If you ever go to Dallas, it was like a church on every corner. Somehow I, I just never had any exposure to those churches, but I did have people that would talk to me about the message of the gospel. And every time they talked to me about the message of the gospel, it was always an intellectual exercise for me. I would say to them, I'd be like, all right, I get it. So you believe God became flesh. They'd be like, yeah. Died on the cross for my sin. And they, yeah. and then he conquered death uh, in the resurrection. And they'd be like, yeah. And that if I believe in him, I'll be eternally forgiven. They're like, yeah, that's it. And then I would say, wow! <laughs> Oh my gosh, you're such an idiot. I can't believe that you believe something like that. Because it was an intellectual exercise for me. When I was like 10, 12, 13 years old, I had this super religious grandmother that I would see twice a year. And so she would come into our bedroom and she would see our rock posters on the wall. This is from 1985. Rock, you know, like Motley Crue, Shout at the Devil. Do you know that? It was just like awesome. We had Ozzy Osbourne eating a bat on the stage. Man, if you haven't experienced the 80s, you, you missed out. Like Judas Priest was on my wall. Iron Maiden. Eddie. You know Eddie from Iron Maiden? Like just demonic looking being. He's like, run to the hills. I mean, I was just like 12-year-old just rocking out, right? Well, my super religious grandmother would come over and see all the... <laughs> posters and she's like oh dear lord let's get together and pray right now get in a circle and so we we would sit in a circle and she would make us pray she would make you believe in jesus right now and like we just laughed at her crazy super religious grandmother why because it was just intellectual information and then one day a friend came to me and he explained the gospel in such a way, and he made it clear. He said, Michael, look, the gospel is not just information. The gospel is power. The gospel is going to upend every part of your life. You see, I, I had always thought that I was kind of evaluating the gospel, that I had placed myself here to evaluate the gospel. He said, no, 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 you're not evaluating the gospel. The gospel is evaluating you. And you've been found lacking. The gospel was exposing my brokenness. The gospel was exposing my weaknesses. The gospel was exposing my inconsistencies and my fears and my need for a rescuer so that that I I went from a person who was making fun of Christians to the person that's standing next to them with my hands raised in worship this gospel's powerful that's why in verse 5 in verse 5, the Apostle Paul uses the phrase, our gospel did not come to you in word only. That's not just word only, but also in power. That word, come, that's an active verb. Because the gospel comes with force. The gospel comes and grabs you. 
Right? The gospel walks into the room of your life and flips tables. The gospel sifts you. The gospel dismantles you. The gospel deals with you in such a way that you can't help but respond to the gospel. Because the gospel forces you to ask questions about life. Like, what are you doing with your life? What really matters in life? What's going to last in life? What's going to make a difference in your life? And the, and it, and the gospel dismantles you and, and, then, and, then, and then builds you back up so as to say, this is your purpose. This is your meaning. This is what you're doing. Have you had that moment? Have you had that type of engagement with the gospel? Well, I say this in the most loving way if you've yet to engage the power of the gospel, then it's likely that you've not engaged the gospel that's been made known in God's word. There's power. The gospel is powerful. I think this is why I'm so hopeful about the chaotic climate of our day right now. Everybody's turning on their news. They're getting nervous, getting scared, getting anxious. I'm getting excited. It's like, yes! So it's very exciting, right? Because the frailty of life is being exposed right now. The fragility of life is being exposed like the curtain. Like we used to think we were so confident. We were just so, so confident just not that long ago. We felt so strong and so, so, so sure. And, and we just assumed that uh, the, well, we'll always have movies to watch. I mean, we just assumed we'll always have friends to hang out with. We assumed there'll always be football. We assumed that we'd always be able to go on vacation. We just assumed that would happen. And then like in a week, everything changes. And all that structure, all that, that footing we thought was solid just starts to crumble down. and just gets me excited because I think right now, I mean, right now, there have to be men, women, and children all over the world who have to be asking questions like, what is going on? Maybe you're asking that question right now. Maybe you're watching online. You're thinking, what, like, what, what is the purpose of life? What, what is the point of going to school, getting a job, getting a spouse, getting a house, getting a 401k, so that within seconds it can all crumble? that exciting? Can't you imagine how many hearts and minds are reflecting on the purpose of life right now? Imagine just thinking about how the gospel is going to grab people. Grab us to make it clear that Jesus is the only one who's stable and secure. And young people, listen to me. Young people, I know you're growing up in a home. You might have a mom and a dad who are talking about Jesus, the glory and awe of Jesus, but you can't borrow the power of the gospel from mom and dad. You have to experience the power yourself. That is the invitation of every, for every one of us here today. 
The gospel is, is inviting us to engage the power, the dismantling, disruptive part of the gospel. And it's an invitation to every person. Like there, There's no barrier. There's no limitation. There's no age requirement. There's no part of the globe. There's no ethnicity. There's no social standing. There's no financial hurdle. It is an invitation to everybody. But it is not an intellectual message to consider. It is a power that dismantles and disrupts every part of your life. The gospel is powerful. Let's talk about our third subpoint, our last subpoint. The gospel is personal. Yes, the gospel is a message, and yes, the gospel is powerful, but we also need to be clear that the gospel is incredibly personal because the gospel completely alters the way we understand all of life. Look at verse, verse 9. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you. Talking about the Thessalonians. About how they turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. They turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Look at that highlighted part. We might not resonate with that highlighted phrase of, of, of turning to God from idols. And that might not resonate with us today because we think to ourselves, like, look, it's 2021, we're educated, we believe in science, we don't believe in idols of our day. Like, people who believe in idols, that's like back in the day, that's like statues, that's like trinkets, that's like temples. We're educated. We think, we don't do that today, but let me just pause you to be clear that all of humanity are worshiping idols of our day. Please don't dismiss that verse because you think that's what people did back in the day. We are absolutely worshiping idol and idols today. On some level, some of us worship money. We're worshiping the idol of money because it brings us safety, security. Don't you feel so much stronger? The, the higher your bank account gets, the more pep in your step you walk with you're like I got $50 <laughs> there's no stopping me right? we feel very strong when the economy's doing great it's an idol of worship some of us uh, we're worshiping idols of acceptance of friendships you think about on social media how, how good we feel about ourselves every time we get a like every time we get a follow Every time we get a heart or a comment and we just want to refresh over and over, we're like, I'm so loved. I'm so loved. And then, and then when we don't get those, we're like, what's going on? What's wrong with me, right? They're, those are idols. Idols of acceptance that we are absolutely worshiping. Power. Power is another idol we worship. We want to be in control. When we're in control, we feel, we feel safe. We feel strong. We want, we want our family, we want our work, we want our, our news, we want it to be kind of lined out, and the more clean it is, the more, the more strong. Those are all idols. 
Look what happened in 2020. February 2020, we were all very confident. Market was doing great. Everything was in control. Having a good time. And then boom. March 2020 hits and there is a what? A wave of anxiety. A wave of fear. A wave of despair. Why? What happened? Our idols. Our idols got toppled. You see, our idols are being exposed. In fact, if you look at the riots this summer, the violence, the burning, the loss of life, not the protest, but the riots, like the, just the violence. If you look at that, and if you look at what happened on January 6th, not the protest, not the march, but the violence, the loss of life, the fear. I mean, those are, those are two opposite ends of the political spectrum. And what you're seeing there has more to do with idol worship than it does about politics. Right? Because in, in those moments, those people, they, they felt like their security of our country was being threatened. Their safety of our country was being threatened. The peace of our country was being threatened. And so they felt completely justified to act out in violence because the things that they hold most dear, right, the things that they think are worthy, the things that they are worshiping are being threatened. And so they had no problem lashing out in violence. It's idol worship. In verse 9, the Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonians, you turned from idols to serve the living and true God. He's saying that in the lives of the Thessalonians, that the gospel had become so personal, so powerful in their lives that it upended their idols. It exposed their false, dead idols so that they turned to the true and living God. That is the invitation for us today. We need to ask ourselves, has the Gospel become personal? Has the Gospel upended our lives and exposed our idols where we are finding strength and peace and comfort and, 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 and rest and exposing how frail and fragile and dead they are so that we turn from those to the true and living God? Has that happened? That's the invitation of the gospel. If that hasn't happened, that's not happening. Then it's possible you're that we're not engaging the gospel made known in God's word. For the Thessalonians, the gospel was so transformative. Did you see that in verse 8? That, the, that, that, that people were talking about it miles away. That their faith had, had rang out, had sounded out, so that people were like, dying. You heard about those Thessalonians? It was powerful. The gospel's powerful. The gospel 
is personal. As I know this might be hard for us to grasp, we talk about the gospel being personal. It's a bit abstract for each of us to think about how the gospel is personal. And so I just want to give you some example of how the church has described what this means throughout history. So if you go to the 1970s, the 1970s, the local church saw this in Scripture and began to present this to, to the church and, and, the, and, and started to use this phrase, to be a born-again Christian. When they talked to, about the gospel being personal in the 1970s, they used this phrase, to be a born-again Christian. Have you heard this phrase? When you think about the 1970s as a chaotic time coming out of the 60s, psychedelics and assassinations and violence and riots, right? And there was an instability of life, and so people were looking for a stability, a foundation, and so a way for people in the 70s to kind of get their head around it. They said, hey, you're going to be a born-again Christian. It comes out of John chapter 3 when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus to be born again, to be a born-again Christian. Maybe some of you have responded to that type of language. In the 1980s, things were a little bit different. And so the 1980s, the local church started to use this phrase of asking Jesus into your heart. Have you heard that phrase? Maybe some of you have responded to that phrase in, in your past to ask Jesus to come into your heart. That's really not even in the Bible. It may be Revelation 3, but a little bit out of context. But the, the whole concept applies that, that the gospel is personal and that our heart, there's a, like a throne on our heart. The heart's like the decision maker of our lives. And so in the 1980s, it was presented like, hey, come ask Jesus into your heart to be that decision maker of your life. And, and God used that to help people understand how the gospel's personal. In the 1990s, 1990s, they latched onto a phrase of um, that, that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Oh, doesn't that sound good? Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Yes, Jesus, our Savior. Yes, Jesus saved us. But then in the 1990s, they wanted to clarify that Jesus is Lord. Right, that Jesus is coming into your life in a personal way, that he is master, that he is the decision maker and you're submitting your life to him. And so that just through the 70s, the 80s, and 90s, this is a different way that this, this truth has been presented to the local church. And it doesn't matter which phrase you kind of latch onto. It only matters that you respond. That you receive the gospel made known in God's word in such a way that, that it upends the, the idols of your life that you are turning from the false, dead idols of our day to the true and living God made known in Jesus. I mean, right now there is a message going out to the women of our day that you don't need a man. Right? You don't need a man to be your rescuer. Drawn on that inner Beyonce, you don't need, you don't need a husband. You don't need a boyfriend. You have girl power, right? And that's true. Women today do not need a man. A man is not the rescuer of women. And at the same time, the answer is not to turn to yourself as a woman and become your own rescuer. That is a false idol. The rescuer's name is Jesus. That is the invitation. Even in our day with COVID-19, as this vaccine is coming out, don't you see yourself getting excited, hopeful? Oh, it's so close. We see it coming, and we find ourselves, I find myself thinking like, oh, if I could just get to the vaccine, 
so excited about the vaccine. But at the end of the day, the vaccine is not my rescuer. Vaccine's good, I want the vaccine, but it's not my, it's not my rescuer. There's always going to be another virus. It is only Jesus. So we turn from the false dead idols of our day to the true and living God. Won't you respond to that today? Respond to God's word. That is the invitation. Jesus is God in the flesh who has come to take our sin. And he takes all of it. He takes all the corruption of politicians, all the perversion of our hearts, all the insecurities, all the riots, all the social unrest, all the violence, all the murder, all the deception, all the hate. He takes it all and he puts it to death at the cross and he conquers it in the resurrection so that all who believe in him will find life We'll find rest, we'll find strength, and not just for today, but for eternity. Won't you respond? Will you bow your head with me and close your eyes? Well, Father in heaven, I thank you for today. I thank you for the men, women, and children, you've gathered here at North Village Church and in such a chaotic time to, to be reminded of the hope that we have in 1 Thessalonians. I pray that you would help every one of us here today, self-included, to see the false dead idols that we so easily latch onto. Help us to see how they're frail. Help us to see how they're fragile. and help us to turn from them to the true and living God made known in Jesus. And that it's in Jesus that we would find life. In Jesus that we would find power. We would find hope. We would find rest. We would find comfort. And we would not find it just for moments, but we would find it for eternity. I pray that you would wash that truth over every one of us today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.